Mate, this is going to be awesome. It's not stayed to come down for that one. Hit him, hit him. It's more than just a hobby, it's who we are. Cracker. That's why we hunt. Welcome to the Educated Hunter Podcast. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Educated Hunter. Uh, this week is an episode I recorded uh, just pre, well, it was a couple of weeks before lockdown, actually. I, I flew into the country for our ultimate OE training, had a couple of hours to kill at Auckland Airport, and Gareth was kind enough to come out and meet me at the airport. Gareth is the relatively new owner of Victory Knives, so he is a fisherman and hunter and now business owner within the hunting industry. Uh, so it was a really interesting chat around you know, what he does for a business, um, how knives are made, and a little bit of what he gets up to both on the hunting front and on the charity front actually, which was a really pleasant chat. Apologies for the background noise. Uh, you'll be able to hear some banging and crashing and carrying on. We actually had to film it, well, film it, record the podcast in a McDonald's. So um, you can hear the McDonald's baristas in the background smashing the coffee thing. Uh, so that's what that noise is. Apologies in advance. At the end of this podcast, Gareth offers up five victory knives with sheaths. Um, and what we're going to do is give those out to... I uh, will random select those of you who have entered recipes and or photos into the Educated Hunter recipe book. Uh, for you, those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, um, the podcast before this one's a little bonus episode explaining exactly what that is. But like we say in there, we are going to randomly select five people who have submitted photos or a recipe um, to get a free victory knife. So if you're sitting on the fence and you still haven't quite submitted your recipe, get, get onto that um, in the next couple of days because we're going to close that up here probably by the end of the month. But other than that, I hope you enjoy the podcast and I hope you are at least out of lockdown or going to be out of lockdown soon and things are going okay for you out there. Cheers. Give it best. You, mate. Cool. So thanks for uh, joining me. It's kind of a... Um, oh, thanks for the coffee too. I need it. <laughs> I uh, Fresh off the plane from Canada and then <laughs> I knew the connection was going to be tight, but I had a firearm. I had a paddleboard. <laughs> I had a set of cast white tail antlers. I had a muntjac, muntjac skull from England. I had a fox skin from... Andy Costi, I had a bunch of fishing gear like fly rod and. Reels. So you would have been the most interesting guy to come through customs today. Yeah, yeah, boots and a tent. I tell you what, by the end of it, there was about seven of them. They were training, so the guy who was a real good bugger, actually, I have to say, I can't remember his name. I meant to remember it, but he would keep calling the young ones over, and every time one of them sort of dealt with an item, yeah, he'd give the next item to the next one. It was like this. He probably got a week's worth of training in one bag because I had it all in one bag because I knew they were going to want to look at it all. And meanwhile, you're looking at the clock going, my next flight's leaving. Oh, yeah. By that stage, because I'd already been through the firearms rigmarole, which given all the um, action with that New Zealand at the moment, I was sort of bracing myself for it being an issue. To be honest, it was super laid back. Um, guy was really good. I had the right permit. He just 
Work it. it. Yeah. So that was pretty. That was easy. So yeah, at that point I was like, yeah, not going to make it. So Air New Zealand just bumped me on the next one, which means I get to have a conversation with you, Gareth, who <laughs> awesome. I met three minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I guess the the biggest question is how we ended up here. So we're put in touch through Cam Tompkins, who's your brother-in-law. Yep, that's right. Yep. Yep. So it's the small world paying dividends. I spent time at the same rugby club with Cam in Vancouver, so we run in the same circles. Yep. Cam usually dusts off his dancing shoes for the stag dudes. I don't see him very much other than that. He's a uh, he's a special unit when he has a few drinks. Oh, he loves it, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Gets right into it. It's not, not supposed to be any milk in that coffee, but obviously they can't comprehend. But anyway, no, I got milk in mine too. It's all right though. Yep. It's been a while since. It, the sad thing is McDonald's coffee is better than uh, most of the stuff in Canada. <laughs> so anyway, enough waffling. Reason we're talking is you are the relatively new owner of Victory Knives. Yeah, so I bought Victory Knives about uh, twelve oh, coming, coming up twelve months ago now. Yeah, so yeah, the um, proudly the fourth owner of um, uh, a very old and um, reasonably well known, I guess, in sort of the, the outdoor circles. Um, yep. um, com- uh, old New Zealand manufacturing company started in nineteen twenty seven. And just, yeah, it's one of those things that <clears throat> I'm sort of a believer of things happen for a reason and it, and it just sort of happened beautifully and it was like it was meant to be. So, um, yeah, proud to, to take control of, of it and um, and really conscious of kind of the history of it and yeah. trying to tell that story a wee bit more about the history. Um, yeah, it's a... It's pretty cool. It's a cool business. Yeah, I, I, I'd sort of, I'd spent sort of 10, oh, 14 years in the liquor trade and kind of got to the point that I was just you know felt like I needed to do something else and I wanted to you know I wanted to buy a business and know what it, what it was um you know I'm a I, I, you know like I said to you you know we we're talking earlier I'm, a, I'm an average hunter and maybe a slightly better fisherman but um <laughs> but, but but I I just love it um yeah. you know it's just a, but you know it's one of those things you either yeah either lo- you love it or you you don't really do it yeah. and um and yes yeah, so I'd sort of any spare time I'd get I'd you know go to the hills or go go out fishing or whatever and um a mate of mine's a business broker, and um, he rang me up. For, it must have been late, late about a year ago, and sort of said, "Oh, hey, I got the perfect thing for you. Victory Knives is coming up for sale shortly." I was like, "Shit, I'll be into that." Sort of bit of a pipe dream at the time, and that was pre-Christmas. And I sort of said to myself and my boss at the time, Jeff, and um, that you know I needed to go and have a think about what I want to do. And you know, came back, and I, I just wasn't feeling it. We sort of you know had the came back and had the chat, and I was sort of got back to work, and it was you know knew that something had to change and yep. um, literally that day I get a phone call from Mark, my good mate who's a business broker and he said, mate, it's getting listed on Friday. I said, make me an appointment and get me, let me be the first person to meet this guy. I've you know, done a whole lot of DD, I guess, in the background about understanding it yeah. and whatnot. And when I met John Bamford, who was the previous owner and just a great guy, and we, we hit it off and got on like a house on fire and um, and he sort of said, he goes, shit, he said, if I could have, picked someone to sell this company to you'd yeah. be it you're sitting in front of me and how I said, long had he owned it 20 odd years right so and um and so he cared about oh yeah he's you know he's a good big heart really good good bloke and and, and he cared about you know what were happening to the staff what was what it needed to go forward and um and i said to him look i'll make you an offer by close of business today and you know fair offer and offer went through and he accepted it and, I, and he sort of said well when do you you know when do you want to start and i said well you're buggering off to europe in six weeks i'll give us you know give us six weeks to do dd and i'm into it so yeah. Ran through DD, got the deal done. Um, I started on the 
Monday, <clears throat> he buggered off to Europe for a month on the Tuesday, which kind of at one point was like, oh, that's a bit of a scary thought. You know, I'm sort of just walking into, I've got a factory yeah, now and I'm okay. making knives and I've got to understand all this. But it was actually really good because you get thrown in the deep end and the staff there are great. A lot of people that have been there for a really long period of time and um, super passionate. Um, but I, I guess from John's point of view, when he looked at me, it was like, well, you know, he wanted Victory Knives to go to that next next step. And, um, you know, that John John's a, you know, a really smart manufacturing businessman I guess that's a core skill set I probably come from more of the sales and marketing side yeah. of things and what, I did, com- what did you do beforehand I was a general manager at Moa for nine years Moa beer. yep yeah and prior to that I was a 42 below yeah um so yeah so a lot of time in the liquor trade so you know working with you know Jeff and some really smart guys around nobody does marketing better than the liquor boys yeah well yeah well, it's sort of you can get a bit loose with it can't you so yeah, can. um and you know it's when you're selling the social lubricant it's easy to you know sort of uh, you know to, to dance around the edges on it and with with the interesting thing with with it all was you know John's I, I ended up owning a business that effectively had done no marketing for 91 years um, really? so and, and there's just this incredible story to tell about you know the the previous owners and different periods when um, you know the war period when you know the company just diverted from making knives for the meatworks and butchers to to then making knives for the New Zealand Army, Australian Army, and the US Army. So and stuff like that all sorts, mate. Like I've got I've got a I've got a whole lot of stuff from my office, which is. Um, uh, you know, there was you know uh, one of the really interesting ones. There's a, a knife uh, that was for the the flying boats that used to service and drop all the troops up through the Pacific, and it's yeah. a Bowie knife. And we made the knife. It's a, it's a high carbon knife. And then it, the there's a cast um, aluminium handle which was actually done by Massport down the road. So that was done in 1940 odd. Um, and and you know then I start digging around about the history of this knife because you know I sort of think it's just a you know a big cool knife, but yeah. it was actually designed to cut through the fuselage of the flying boat if they got into shit. Right. So um, yeah, completely different to what I thought <laughs> it was, but it also worked out it was apparently quite a good bush bashing tool and everything else as they were bouncing up through the islands and dropping off oh, and picking yeah. up troops. So there's just this massive amount of history with the company, which is um, which I'm keen to tell, and we're starting to tell more of. Um, and you know I'm fastidious about New Zealand business and keeping it in New Zealand. Um, you know we're right in the middle of a, you know this whole media storm around coronavirus and whatnot. And I'm proud to say we don't get anything out of China and we don't sell into China. And so a lot of my customers have been asking about you know where we get stuff from, how we do stuff, and it's cool to say that we make it here. I mean we bring in two and a half meter by one point two uh, two meter sheets of steel out of Sologen in Germany. Yeah. Best knife making steel in the world. All the biggest competitors, the Victorinox and everyone else, that's what yeah. they use. We bring in the same steel. We cut it into forty odd different shapes um, at our uh, laser laser um, part, laser cutting partner. And so um, different shapes of different styles of knife. Yeah, different shapes. So yeah. we get the raw steel, and then we do everything on site. So we we forge it, we grind it, we etch it, we injection mold the handles, we do the whole lot from way to go. So it's our process, and I guess the key process in knife making is taking a raw piece of steel and. And, and hardening it to the right level of hardness on that Rockwell hardness scale and, and getting a knife that's um, not too hard, not too soft, that can take an edge and hold an edge. Right. So, um, yeah, one of the things I say to people to try and sort of, sort of you know, because people ask me, well, you know, knife, well, you know, how many knives do you go through? Well, we make north of 3,000 knives a week. Thereabouts sold 120,000 knives last year, and our biggest customer is obviously the Meatworks. So, yeah. 
Um, we have historically, for a really long period of time, owned the slaughter board, so it's yeah. almost guaranteed that if you eat a bit of beef or lamb in New Zealand, it's probably had its throat cut by the, the halal slaughterman uh, yeah. with a victory knife. So, um, yeah, so it's really interesting. I spent the last year, you know, spent my previous 14 years run, wandering around bars and, and liquor stores, and I spent the last year wandering around meatworks. So, um, but I find them really fascinating. So yeah. I've seen that. I've seen a lot of meat, meatworks in New Zealand and Australia. Because I imagine they're pretty hard on them as a, like, because oh, yeah. they, I mean, I just started working at a butchery last six months. Just yep. was in Canada, needed a bit of extra pocket money and thought, bugger it, what do I don't know? Yep. Cool. Um, so I started working at a butchery. So it sort of opened my eyes to knives in general. Like the guys that I work with, most of them are journeyman chefs who have moved into butchery. Yep. And they all, like, they turn up and they've all got their knife roll and they unwrap them. They've got all these different knives and, you know, flash handles and, you know, a bit flashy. And I'm standing over there with my. You know the, the knives that are in the shop that have been banging around in the bottom of a yeah <laughs> bottom of a tub getting flat, uh, getting um, blunt and nasty. You know, you know, have you got any knives, man? No, no, she's right. I'll figure this out myself. So it's been a bit of an overnight, over open, eye-opening experience seeing all the different shapes and how they fit into you know animal breakdown to yeah you know cutting steaks to boning to you know, taking off silver skin, all those different things. They've all got a different knife for everything. Totally. Whereas a, you know, a hunting guide, I had... Yeah, packing a, a light and only wanting one one, one to no, do the lot, ideally. I just use a Havilon. Yeah, right. For yeah. everything, from yeah. head skinning to breaking down a whole moose, I do it with a Havilon. Yeah, right. Because they're not cutting steaks or any of that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. So, I, you know, I use a 60XT scalpel blade to do everything because I'm shit at sharpening and it's light. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's my knife background, which yeah. is a bit rough around the edges. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting inside the meatworks. I mean, there's, again, it's, I mean, it's always, you know, it's a deep, dark place that, you know, there's a gate and no one really knows what happens inside. And yeah. I've, I've been on tours around multiple meatworks around the country and I think it's, um, you know, like everyone's got an opinion about it, but the fact of the matter is, is there's you know New Zealand's driven by agriculture, and we need to kill our animals and sell protein because that's yeah. that that's what you know you know drives effectively you know a big chunk of our economy. And I, when I go around and see that, there's there's so much to it when you're inside there from the halal slaughterman. That's you know pretty well all the plants these days have got a halal slaughterman, and yeah. you know the animal is one strike through the through the throat, and it's generally with one of the bigger knives, and then the chain and the process starts and it's really fascinating there's lots of different knives used throughout that process and now as the meatworks are you know looking for those add values years ago everything was thrown away other than prime cuts now absolutely every part of the animal with the exception of almost nothing is used yeah. and you know you go into the placenta room as an example one of the most profitable things that they're getting out of a cattle beast is if it's full they'll yeah. get the they'll get the the, the the fetus out and take the placenta blood yeah and there's a special, you know, when you're in that medical space, you need a special coloured hand or a type of knife to be able yeah. to demarcate that part part of the plant if you're going to on sell that into a different space. So, yeah, I've had a real, I've, it's been brilliant. I mean, I, I yeah, there was a few people going, whoa, that's yeah. out there. And one of the funny things was, is when I first saw that placenta room, I was wandering through, I, I won't name the works or anything, but a really good guy um, who's been in the industry for 50 odd years. And um, and he sort of said, he goes, see, in there, and I said, oh, what's happening in there? He said, oh, it's a placenta blood. It's one of the most profitable things we do. I said, oh, what do you do with that? And he turns around and he goes, your missus rubs it on her face. <laughs> and yeah. I sort of thought to myself, should have she, if she'd seen that, I don't think she'd ever be rubbing that on her face again no, in terms of if it goes to cosmetic companies. But it is really fascinating and I think it's interesting to know the process from way to go about what happens if, with with um, you know your protein. And as hunters, we, we do know that. Yeah. And um, 
a lot of people like to turn a blind eye, I think, about what happens in, within the, the, the meatworks. But, you know, it isn't, I, I think it's pretty humane and it's quick. Um, you know, a cattle beast walks into the crush and gets the bo- gets the, the bowl of electricity and it's throat cut and 45 minutes later you've got a, you, you've got a, you know, an eye fillet vacuum packed, still warm, yeah. going to market. Like it's pretty, you know, it, it's, you know, it's pretty raw, but it is what it is, it right? It is what it is. Yeah. So, dialing back a little bit, um, I'm really interested because, I mean, again, up until six months ago, to me, a knife was a knife was a knife. And I, I understood that some knives are really hard to sharpen. Once you had them sharp, they would hold an edge for a while. But for me, as a hunting guide, being on the hill, they were useless because I couldn't get them sharp again. And then on the other end of the scale, the cheaper knives are real easy to sharpen, but they'll lose your edge quickly. Yep. So there's obviously some kind of happy medium as to what goes into the actual blade itself. Can yep. you run me through a bit of that? Yeah, so I mean, so you get a raw, when you get your raw piece of steel, and I mean, there's t- types of, the two major knife making bits of steel, there's the 4034 and the 4116. Okay. Um, they come out of Sologen, Germany. We use both of them, predominantly the 4034. If it's, essentially, when you when you get that raw piece of steel, what we do is we, we forge it, and we are batch forging. So we're forging... Um, 2.8 kilos of steel at a time so depending so we've got a a, a big furnace it goes yep. in it sits at a thousand and fifty degrees for about 20 minutes and then it's starting to change the structure of the metal to to, to um to, to bind it all together but it's also hardening it at the, the, the hardening process is the binding of all the molecules in the metal yeah so you heat it up to a thousand and fifty degrees hold it there for 20 minutes and it's really important that we get that weight right or else we get a we get an incorrect forge so Comes out of the uh, it comes out of the uh, furnace, goes straight into quenching oil, special kind of oil that we use. The quenching oil cools it quickly, but controls that cool, so it gets a full quench. And then we put our blades into a freezer overnight at minus seventy degrees, and then they come out of there the following morning, and we bake them twice: once at one eighty, once at two hundred. Sounds like a hell of a long process, and you've still got like a dirty piece of steel blade that's yeah. raw. Um, then we then we measure the Rockwell hardness, and we're looking for somewhere between fifty three and fifty five on the Rockwell scale of hardness, which is your steel. And then you've got the right structure of steel to have a blade that will, you know, take an edge, hold an edge for the right period of time. So there's the interesting thing with knives that I've you know learned in the last you know twelve months when it becomes everything you do all day every day is that. Um, you know, there's no right answer. Everyone's got their own way of doing things yeah, and yeah, no, what they know. do with knives and how they use them. So that's which which is fine. So you got to sort of take a relatively good view. But that's the most important part of getting the process right. So you've got a piece of steel that's been treated correctly with the right hardness, and then you're able to make a really good product out of it. And um, from my point of view, is you know, I, I use knives obviously not all day every day. I talk to the guys that have got them in their hands for forty hours a week, and yeah. you know, get their feedback. So um, yeah, we've got, and I've got a pretty good reputation, which I'm, I'm bloody lucky to to, to have yeah, that's uh, inherited. Because awesome. I mean, for me, like again, I mean, I just fresh from the chiropractor actually before I got on the plane, and um, I was having issues with my neck, <clears throat> and she figured out pretty quickly it was basically I'm cutting wrong. And I'm not using the good knives. I'm using the shitty blunt knives. So I'm cutting a lot more with my traps, essentially. I'm yep. pulling a lot more than I should have. Should totally. Be. Yep. And it's, you know, it's crinked up my neck and my shoulder and all that kind of stuff. And she sort of said that to me and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I went straight from there to the butchery for my last shift last week. And she was like, when you're cutting next, just pay attention. And if you're, if you're dropping your chin or lifting your arm, you're cutting wrong. Yep. So, of course, the first thing that came across the chopping board, I did it, and I was like, oh, shit, she's right. Yeah, yep. 100% right. Um, so, just for argument's sake, I 
got a hold of one of the other butchers here and said, do you mind if I use a few of your knives today just to try them out? It makes such a difference. Yeah. And the meatworks in New Zealand, it's huge. I mean, they've got obviously hundreds of people on the line and, you know, dedicated people, knife trainers and stuff, which their job is, is to make sure that these guys are looking after and keeping their knives sharp because, you know, RSI is huge. Um, and if they're pushing too hard, the cuts the, the cuts are worse and the injuries are worse when because, you know, the, the worst injury you can get is from a blunt knife because generally you push really hard and it makes a hell of a mess. Um, and a really sharp knife should, you know, let the, it's the old let the knife do the work. So... Concentration on keeping your knife tidy is really, really important. And you know, like if I'm butchering an animal um, out, out hunting, is every few cuts I'll get it back on the steel and just keep it tidy because it just makes it go better. And you start to get that way of thinking, and it does make the job a hell of, hell of a lot easier. And um, you know, the health and safety thing inside of the plants, it's they spend a lot of money and a lot of time and effort to make sure guys have got their knives sharp. Yeah, so I'm picking that a lot of the your knives go into. I mean, for me, from a business point of view, it makes sense to be putting them into those plants because it's volume, right? Yep, totally. But then you've got hunters who, we sort of talked about it before, like they want a, a silver bullet, something that does everything. Yep. And if you want that, then it's a real personalised silver bullet. Like everybody's doing something slightly different in New Zealand. Yep. So, you know, they might want something that they can do the mutton with, dog tucker, have on the farm, and also deal with a deer yep. once every couple of weeks when they deal one, you know, get one. And then you've got other guys who are processing a larger number of animals that are probably more specialize in having knowing that you know the biggest thing for me is biggest learning for me like the reason i went to work at that butchery is i want to understand how you took a whole animal and then turn it into something that you could display in a case and sell yeah so you know most of us growing up in new zealand have always been able to butcher you know a deer to put it in the freezer right yeah but you know, mum's never happy because it never quite looks like it does in the shop. Yeah, because right? it's got hair all over it. It's got hair all over it, it. And it's not quite straight and like all this kind of stuff. So my biggest learning and something I've really enjoyed is learning how to make those cuts look great. So, you know, yep. cutting steaks and all that kind of stuff. Um, and soon figured out that if you don't have the right knife, you can't make them look good. Yep, 100%, yeah. So those big, like cutting the, um, like the ribeyes and the, you know, what do they call them in Canada, New York's. Like, unless you've got the right cutting knife, you're just going to make an absolute... Yeah, you need your big steak knife for those. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, I've always looked at those steak knives and thought, use that for? Yeah. 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 And that, I mean, the, the two things those are primarily useful from us is, is yeah, is, is cutting steaks and cutting throats. Yeah. Well, I can see how they'd be useful to cut a throat. <laughs> I mean, I'd be scared doing it. There's too much blade involved for me. But, but cutting those steaks, particularly, you know, even if you're cutting pork chops, it's a different knife again because you've got to get underneath that feather bone and down. It's... Bloody interesting stuff. Yeah, it is. It's the yeah. I mean, there's. I mean, it's it's the first tool created by mankind, and but okay. there's so many versions of it. And I mean, it's it's so important. I mean, like you just. I mean, like irrespective of what you do, you can't really get get away without having a knife in a you know a gathering type environment. Really, yeah. other than maybe picking some berries, but generally you need a knife. It's the first thing that every farmer's carrying one. Everyone out in the bush has got to have a knife on them. Here's a here's a thing. When I was you know, you and I had never met up until we started this, and uh, I figured out that I'd missed my plane and had four hours to kill here, so I thought, bugger, I'll give uh, Gareth a <laughs> flick him an Instagram message and see if he's floating around. So part of my prep for this interview, which is very broken and jumping around, I apologise for everyone, was getting real deep in your Instagram feed. I saw a shot of the America's Cup boat, the New Zealand, yeah. New Zealand boat. Yeah, it's fascinating, eh? Yeah. Tell yeah. me about that. Um, so... We uh, it was AC thirty four in San Francisco. So John did this prior to me buying the business. He's 
He's uh, on a board and a shield of a, a company called Ram 3D down in Tauranga who, do, um, who, who are uh, 3D printers effectively. And they got some technology and some new machines to 3D print a titanium knife. So they did a knife for the guys and it was, it's, uh, we call it the XTB Sailor's Knife. It's, um, it's got a, a sheath, a, a titanium printed sheath and blade, really light. Um, they did most of it. Then we ground and um, we, we serrated and sharpened it at, at Victory. Um, and then obviously it was marketed as a victory knife and sold into Team New Zealand and, and by all accounts quite successful. Um, this year, um, I know a couple of the guys there and sort of said, hey, what are you doing for knives? And being cheeky as I am without the budget of the big guys that are throwing heaps of money at it is um, I kind of got in there after. Um, they had um, kind of signed off all their sponsors and I spoke to one of the boys here and said, I'll bring down some knives. What do you want? Assuming that they might go for these titanium knives and... Believe it or not, the um, the boys on the boat this year have got a 10 centimetre drop point hunting knife um, and a plastic sheath because the sailors wanted something small and light. Yeah. Um, it's a knife we sell heaps of, um, and you know people have got really good things to say about it for in terms of one knife to take in your pack. It's yeah. can break down a whole deer. So that's what the sailors have got. And then the thing that cracked me out the most, which is just classic Kiwi, is the guys on the support chase boat wanted some our diving knives serrated, but the one that got me was um, a dozen pig stickers. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck do you want a pig sticker for on a chase boat? And they said, oh, well, if the boat goes over, it's a double-edged blade so we can cut the carbon fibre sails. I was like, oh, it makes heaps of sense makes now. Sense, yeah. So, yeah, so fascinating stuff. I mean, but, uh, yeah, I sort of think it's quite funny. You've got the Team New Zealand boat running around, your chase boat running around with a whole bunch of pig stickers on. If it all goes bad, you'll see people, you know, cutting sails cut with, the, with, the with a pig sticker. Brilliant. Yeah, get us the hope there's nobody under the sail when you give it heaps. <laughs> exactly. It'll be a bit rough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, bloody interesting. Right, so... You were mentioning a little bit on the drive here. We're at McDonald's, everybody, if you're wondering what all that background noise is. Um, Curran will be disappointed. I'm not bringing you any cheeseburgers, man. You'll have to get those on your own. <laughs> um, is You've got quite a – well, growing a little bit of a market in North America, yeah. which is quite cool. Yeah, I mean, it's um – Oh, hey, I mean, you know, you talk about the consumption of knives and, and the size of that market. I mean, you know better than anyone. It's just, it's massive. Um, you know, we, we trade off a real core base of goodwill of people saying good stuff about your products. And the thing that's blown me away in the last 12 months is I don't need to go out and tell people that the knives are good. We just continue to make them the same way we've been making them for a really long period of time. It's proven in terms of being really good quality, but... Yeah. What I love is the passion of people that use them that just tell us how good these things are. I mean, you know, it makes my day when a butcher sends me a note saying, you know, I've been butchering or home killing for 40 years, like our, our guy in the States, Aaron, um, been home killing for 40 years, comes across Victory Knives and he reckons it's the best thing he's ever used. And, you know, it's humbling to hear that. And when, when you've got that endorsement coming from a guy who fully knows what he's doing it hasn't yeah. come from a fancy marketing company or a or a campaign or anything it's just a genuine guy that's out killing hogs and killing beef all day every day and breaking them down and he's been doing it for 40 years and it's changed his game and he loves it and then he says oh you know we'll start selling them and he's been selling heaps he only really sells them via instagram over there it's a bit of an underground thing how do you yeah, get yeah. these things um but it's going really well and it's just you know getting it into the right hand so all of a sudden you've got all these kind of free ambassadors that say cool things about your product and I, I, I just love it well how strong is that right a you've got you know close to 100 years 90 years worth of history so all that r&d has been done by probably a lot of smart people leading up to this point yep and then given your background and marketing and all that kind of stuff it's a real 
I'm more of a salesman at heart, I would say. Yeah, yeah, salesman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah. Um, that's that's really cool. Yeah. I, I think it's really, really cool. And it's, you know, I again, creeping your Instagram, I noticed there's a few people liking your posts that, you know, I'm affiliated with as well. You know, Joseph Peters one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Me, yep. So Joseph does not pull any punches. Those of you that know Joseph on social media, he, he speaks his mind pretty freely. God bless him. <laughs> if you're listening, Joseph. Love you, mate. But I mean, if he's loving your gear, you can guarantee he's put it through the through the ringer, and he's not going to tell anyone that their stuff is good if it's not. Yeah. So you know, Khan Adams, another one. He felt you know. Yeah. He does I, a lot I, of you know, when I first cutting. yeah, I mean, I, when I first started, Instagram didn't, didn't even really exist, and so you know, all of a sudden you start from nothing and, and grow it, and, you know, and you get a couple of two and a half thousand people there, but it's not paid or anything. It's all genuine people that have got a genuine interest in knives in some way, shape, or form. And I sent sent, sent some down to Josh James, and I said, yeah. he said, what do you want for it? I was like, I don't care what you say. I don't, and I'm yeah. not asking you to say anything. I just, and he knows the knives and. He's one of the ones that, right, you know, and then he puts a post up and raves about the drop point, and all of a sudden, you know, sales drop point knives go through the roof, yeah, yeah. And, and I and I and I appreciate that through distributors and stuff, and it's cool. But 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 those endorsements coming from the guys and the people, I mean, it's the way the world is, is people seem to live a lot of their life staring at a screen, and you know, oh, he's using it, so I should yeah. use it. But you know, that's great. But I guess yeah, but if, that doesn't have a backbone unless your product's good. No, exactly. Like you yeah, can exactly. shift a hundred knives tomorrow. But if the knives are shit, then that's as far as it'll go. 100%. And there's been companies that have arrived in New Zealand and died off pretty quickly that have tried to take our look and feel with using Chinese uh, steel, which has got bugger all chromium in it. Your, bet you have you not importing from China right now. Oh, or dealing with them, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's really cool. So you're based in Auckland. Where were you based beforehand? Have you always been in Auckland? Yeah, yeah. So I was born in Wellington and, yeah, grew up in Auckland. So, but, you know, I used to spend as much time as I could down um, in Taranaki, down in, uh, near Wongamomina on a, on the cousin's farm growing up. And that's kind of where I fe- nice. you know, fell in love with uh, the outdoors. And that was my the starting point, really, for me. Um, here's a question. Again, digging your Instagram feed, you had a prototype of a head skinning knife there. Yeah. From someone who's... Shit, I need to do something about that. You do. Yeah. I'll tell you what, it's, oh, and, and at least my circle will be pretty interested in it. Well, and so, yeah, I, I, I tattooed around with it, and then I got some feedback that it needs to change. So what I'm looking for, and maybe you can work with me on this, is send me the drawing and I'll make you the knife, because feedback I get is, you know, lots of people, um, lots of guides have got holes in their hands from sharp, quite sharp, flat head screwdrivers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Try, yeah and no, getting, right getting around the coronets is, is tough. Yeah. Um, so trying to get something there. And, and I put that up there and I got a heap of, you know, I got a heap of feedback and I, sorry to those that maybe have uh, for, asked me for a knife and I promise, promise you one, I will get some out there. But um, yeah, I, stuff like that I think is really interesting because it's there's a need from what I understand. Um, yeah. So, you know, we make the knives. You well, guys I can put you in touch with 10 guys that are doing four or five a week at the moment. Cool. Now's the time to do it. Yeah, brilliant, um, yeah. Like Stefan, the guy who's like on my way down to training our guys for the Ultimate OE program. Yep. So Stefan will turn up mid-training and he's helping with the Scottish side of things. Yep. But he's working at Leithen and they do all their own head skinning right okay. down to pulling heads. So those yep. boys are doing... Five, six stags a week, probably minimum. Yep. So he'd be a good guy. To You've just given me a rocket. I want to sort something out when I get back off. Yeah, it's yeah, this yeah. one. It's, 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 lots, lots of, of stuff. things you want to do. Yeah, yeah, I hear there's you. heaps, and it's sort of lots of things I want to do. But you've got to 
you know, an Oni two-year-old business that's been going well for that period of time. You don't want to walk in and break it. You want to sort no. of focus on the oh, core and, it's a and get that going. Product it too, is very, but it's but right? to me, it's that interest point because we've got the ability to do it, and yeah. and and we make our knives, we manufacture them. So so let's do it. I mean, yeah. um, it's not going to be the game changer, but it's still it still just gets you into that space. And the, the thing I always said when I spoke to John was, and I've bought heaps of shit knives over the years when I've gone to buy a hunting knife or something. You go yeah. in and. Some kid on the shop floor tells you the knife and you buy it because it's got a cool handle or, or a nice sheath. But all I ever needed to be told was these are the knives that they're using in the meatworks and these are the knives they're using in the fish processing plants. And yeah. that, to me, that's a real easy <laughs> one. Oh, cool. So the pros are using those. Give me one of them. And that's yeah, what yeah. Victory Knives is. So it's not flash, but it's just it's good and it does yeah. what it says, and it's supposed to do. I think that fits with most Kiwi Hunters brand, yep. right? Like you, my business partner, Curran, he's about as unflash as... Yep. They come, and he's got a, I believe it's an old victory knife on his, like he's a, he's got pictured on the brain, that's all he does, really. Yeah. Well, that's not true. That's <laughs> what he'd do all the time if he could. He yep. does, you know, he has expanded his horizons in terms of hunting over the years, big time, but at, at a core, he's a pig hunter. So his pig hunting gear is rough, like yep. rough, but functional. Yep. Very functional. And it's a victory knife that he uses, yep. just because it's functional and it works. Um, it blows me away when we do a run of them and how often we do a run of them and you'll see, you know, a hundred knives, pig stickers. Yeah. And I walk around and I go, yeah, where are all these going? Like, does it, does every pig hunter lose a knife every time they go out? Yeah, probably. And so, <laughs> it's not a bad thing. Um, but yeah, but, but yeah, sort of blows me Camo away. Camo handles, that's where it's at. <laughs> yeah, we, well, they've got a black handle on them, maybe I'll keep doing that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't want to make them orange, it's too easy to find. Um, yeah, so it's, it is, it is interesting because everyone does have their, their, their key thing that they're using for them. That's great. And I'm, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of, of, you know, trying to help them with what it is. And, you know, so pig stickers are cutting carbon fiber sales for Team New Zealand and killing killing pigs up on the hills. Keeping so. the pigs under control for your genie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, bloody good. Okay, what else have I got on here? Um, you mentioned just as we sat down, you are involved with or run or do something with a mental health charity. Yeah, um, yeah. So I was actually three years ago the other week. Uh, well, I've had a couple of good mates uh, take their lives. Uh, one when I was 19 years old and before it was, you know, okay to talk about how you're feeling and stuff. And then one of my best mates uh, three years ago who, you know, I was kind of, you know, first on the scene and had to call his parents and just t- tell them what had happened and um, obviously terrible times. And off the back of that, I, I'm sort of one of those people that doesn't want to sit back and go, oh, bugger. So I had that aha moment uh, two days later or three days later, I went to this... Um, Better by Design CEO Summit thing that was put on by New Zealand Trade and Enterprise and I was kind of away with the fairies to be fair the whole time but one guy got up to speak and it was a guy from the Thank You Company and they were basically selling water I don't know if you've heard of them they sell water and moisturiser and soaps and stuff and they give a percentage of those profits to um, building wells in Africa so that they've got clean water Yeah. and his whole thing was you know what's your why or what's your purpose and when you understand your purpose you kind of have that you know it's you know get a bit of clarity comes through and I was sitting there and I just kind of had the moment where I was like well I need to do something I want to try and you know I'm not going to fix it but I just want to be part of many people trying to fix it and my philosophy is you know rising tide will lift many ships so um, I had this wood for the trees which is what it's called Um, to me it's a real simple broad way to summarise the four quadrants of mental health is you know if you're not seeing the wood for the trees you're sweating over the little details without seeing the bigger picture Um, 
And so the the whole idea of it, it wasn't to be, um, you know, I guess the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, it was to be proactive. So the whole philosophy behind Wood for the Trees is look out for your mates, look out for your near and dearest. So, you know, you know if a mate's change of attitude happens that you're the mate or family or friend member is trying, you know, it's preventative maintenance, I guess is effectively, you know, what, what we're trying to preach is look out for your mates. And we set that up pretty soon after... We lost Timmy, um, you know, we've raised, you know, oh, 60, 70, 80k, given them that out to people like I Am Hope Tour and Mike King going around speaking to schools through to, you know, help funding films to, you know, locally driven community mental health projects. So it's more about being proactive, getting people to the gym, for example, or, you know, getting people out, trying to, trying to do something before it's an issue and, you know, looking out for your mates. So... Um, it's just one of those things, charities are, are tough and it's a bit of a slow burn on the side but it needs to be there for a long period of time and um, yeah, it's one of those things that yeah, I've put some put a whole lot of you know effort alongside some really great people across the committee to do and um, yeah, we're just sort of chipping away at it um, and you know trying to get the message out along with a bunch of others and it has been awesome to see a whole lot of change um, when that happened. So one of the other good mates and that was that big moment, I don't know where you've seen it, is when John O'Prior cried on telly. Yep. So he's one of our really good, one of my best mates, one of my good, really good mates, and and Tim, one of Timmy's really good mates. And I had the discussion with him, having a few beers two days after he died. And I said, "Are you doing telly tonight?" He said, "Ah, oh, yeah, they want me to do it." I was like, "Mate," I said, "You know, you've got the platform, you've got the audience, you've got the people. Do something about it." So off he went, and then he came back to where we were having beers after he shot the telly show. And I said, "How'd you go, mate?" He goes, "Good. I just cried on national telly." And I said, "Perfect." Perfect. <laughs> but it's re- but you know it's real. So like it reached it, a lot of people. It, it reached I mean, a lot it, of people. It reached me, and I was in Canada. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So and so that was Tim, and that was that whole discussion I had with him. And it's kind of I don't know makes the hair stand up in the back of my neck to be honest. But it's um it's cool that you know that's just one of a whole lot of people now. You know Bryce, who was really good mates as well. He's you know he's done a hell of a lot on the rock and and, and stuff. And it's just cool to see that now that we were just breaking down the barriers for people to talk about it and it's just encouraging the harder discussions with your mates and um, you know it's kind of like the major reason why I love going hunting is because I can get away from everything it's like meat's great and banter with the boys is even better but it's just getting away from it and actually having a a bit of a cleanse of the soul you know you wander the hills it's a really hard thing to put words on and me and Karen have talked about it a lot on the podcast is the the massive benefits of just hunting, getting out in the hills, whether it be interacting with your mates or having an excuse to go and do something with your mates, or just purely being out there, even on your own. Yep, it's a a chance. It's a recharge for me. Without yep. it, you know, I get similar thing from fishing, but not quite the same. Yeah, you know, being out on the water helps. Yep, but, you know, being in the bush or out hunting, you know, you you got a very clean, concise purpose. And I always, you know, when I used to go guiding, <clears throat> the amount of clarity you find once you get rid of all the distractions of Everything else, like your, yep. your biggest thing is, you know, which way is the wind going, you know, what times it get light, what times it get dark, yep. and where am I heading? Like, when they become, you know, your primal drivers, it's amazing how much of the other shit just melts away, yep. and you can make Connie, decisions. You, you get into that zone of, I'm chasing an animal and trying to think about it, and think about all those things, and you can spend a kind of whole day, and all of those little life things don't cross your brain about mortgage payments, or, you know, what's happening with a mate here, or your family this or whatever it is and it's really liberating to know that no one can get a hold of you yeah yeah <laughs> unless you pull your e-perb out and you have yeah, to get yeah, out yeah. for a reason but I, I, that's that to me is what i think is a beautiful thing about about hunting is is just that and you know the byproduct is if you get to, if you shoot something and you break it down bring some meat home that's awesome but to me it's just 
being out there and it gives you a reason. I mean, I, I call myself an armed tramper, really. Like, I mean, I just wander around with a gun. It's kind of like, you know, I don't really like going for a walk in the park, but I like, I'll go and play a game of golf because I've got a bit of reason to go for a go yeah, thing yeah, in the park. Yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. hunting falls into that similar sort of space for me that I wouldn't climb over that mountain range on any given Sunday unless I had a rifle with me because I'm hunting something. If I was just doing it for a walk, I'd probably just end up at the pub. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's 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 my reason, really, for it. Yeah, and I think it's really important. I don't think it can be understated enough when we start having these conversations with interested stakeholders in New Zealand about hunting and the future of hunting and all that kind of stuff. I really hope that culture and mental health and family, friends, community is part of our, you know, a big part of our why because whether we realise it or not, it really is. Like, totally. You know, and it's a until those barriers are broken down when it's okay to talk about your feelings and okay to talk about your mental health side of things. Yep. These days I think it's becoming more you know I think we can do it more and as hunters we've got to stand up and say, Look, part of the reason I hunt is because I need it. Yeah, and I, I I you know, it makes me reflect on great conversations. I hunt a lot with my cousin down south, Craig Wing, shout out to you, boy. Um is and 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 another good mate Conrad and I think about you know when we're sitting around the fire at night and having a beer and chatting about stuff you know like when you don't have those outside kind of people on phones and stuff you just you're a hundred percent present with each other and you can really kind of deal with you know it feels like you kind of it's almost like you can say what you want when you're out in the bush right yeah, yeah. you can have these big chats and you know I think Conrad last year like is a good example is. A really good mate of mine, his, his son's had, you know, four or five open heart surgeries and stuff. And, you know, it was cool to see him, quite a staunch guy, and, you know, and a real good bloke, but he kind of broke down to telling us about it. And we're yeah. all like, oh, shit, well, the boy's almost tearing up telling about how hard the process had been. But he, he was kind of, and he's like, man, it's so cool to talk about it. And I was like, good that you've got it out. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. and it kind of encouraged, I just think all of those dead hours that you have in the middle of the day or around the campfire at night or whatever it is creates a real good place just to have those sorts of yarns and it's almost like you know I don't think you could recreate that scene anywhere other than out in the bush like you won't make it happen in a bar there's just too many other things or at a barbecue there's other people there but you kind of just get that real sort of dial in focus space yeah it's a cool thing and I don't think unless you do it or have experienced it, you, you know, I'm sure everyone listening to this will, will go, yeah, I've had that moment because I get love my hunting and that's, um, you know, and that's, I think, you know, as, as I think as hunters, we all love it for that reason that it's just, you know, you're in a place that no one else really is. Yeah, and I mean, the statistics behind mental health, particularly men in New Zealand, are not nice reading. Terrible. Um, it's shocking, really. Like, I did it, just went through the statistics um, probably 12 months ago and it blew me away. Yep. And it's sort of, I knew I was coming back to New Zealand, I'm moving back in a few months' time, and, you know, when I get back here, you know, I'd love to get behind what you guys are doing or something along those lines. Obviously, it'll have a hunting flavour for us. Oh, but, totally. You know, Don Hammond the other day when I was talking to him in, um, over in the States, he's the chairman of the Game Animal Council. I mean, his big thing was, I mean, you know, take people hunting and not necessarily people that... Um, have access to hunting already. Yeah, get it made up in the hills. That needs it. Just, you know, and it, like living in the concrete jungle, like yep. it's, you know, take a mate who's never been hunting before, you know, throw him in a truck and let's go. Yeah. And show him, you know, and particularly if you think he needs it. Totally. Man, and they don't know until they know until they get there and have it. it, it it's, it's soul cleansing. But even when you start, you know, I think about you getting into it, like I'm three weeks away from going for a trip for the raw down south, right? Yeah. 
all of the guys that I'm going with have had their packs out, pack, you know, like yeah. it's, it's like you, you, you spend so much time, you know, you're probably going to drop a grand at the local fish, hunting yeah, fishing yeah, store or yeah. whatever it is and you sort of just, you know, it's that process but when you get there you're fizzing because it's just something you look forward to every year is yeah. it's always block, locked in and, and then you get out there and I just I just reckon, I mean, it's the yarns and the camaraderie and all of those things that I don't think you can appreciate until you go and do it and I'm sure loads of the people that are listening to this have got that appreciation and you just have real cool chats with your mates it's that cool you otherwise wouldn't have this yeah. time everyone's fizzing to go away for the raw right yeah, totally. everybody be safe make sure you know what you're shooting at side note yeah but <laughs> You know, identify your target, and that doesn't mean it's a deer. Tell me exactly what it is, how many points does it have, what species, all that kind of stuff. Do it, please, for the love of God. We can't afford it. Any shit down that track this season. But anyway, you know, even planning a trip like that, having a light at the end of the tunnel, Mm. like a reason to call your mate on a Wednesday night and say, hey, man, I'm, you know, I'm packing this. What are you bringing for that? Like, it just gives you a reason for a bit of banter and a bit of chat. It like reminds me of, you know, when you used to ring your girlfriend at 13 years old on the landline and just talk <laughs> shit. You know, like, I mean, I've probably spoken to Conrad more and my cousin more in the last week than kind of, you know, maybe exactly. my wife on the whole thing. You know, we're talking, and yeah. it's down to those sorts of things. Oh, what are you taking with this? And it, it's cool, you know, it sort of gets you all, gets you all excited and, you know, and you've, you've just, you know, it, that feeling is a great feeling and you get yeah. there and, hey, I, I generally don't come home with much, but if I do, it's it, it's a bonus. Yeah, here's a challenge for everybody. If you've got space in your helicopter or your trip coming up for the raw, invite a mate that's never hunted before. Yeah. Do it. Yeah, man, totally. Just the only thing is get them some decent boots and they won't complain. Yeah, decent <laughs> boots and stuff. But I mean, hell, bit of, bit of suffering never hurt anyone. Like, <laughs> yeah. that kind of suffering, like, it's good for the soul. It really yeah. is. You learn pretty quick when you get black toes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, don't kill anyone. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's really cool, man. I'll uh, have to do a bit more research. I mean, literally, I had no idea until I sat down and yeah, I saw you. Yeah, I mean, that shirt, and you mentioned it, and I thought, oh, shit, that's something we definitely need to talk about. That's really, really cool. Yep. Where are you going for the raw? Uh, we got a uh, got a block down there. We're just heading over just out of Macarora. So um, oh, nice. yeah, yeah, we'll go and um, go in there for a few days. So start of I think it's the third, second or third period. I think we got. So yeah, we've been every year. We sort of get something down there, but um, and I go down a couple of other times a year with my cousin and shoot around the place and yeah. hunt all over the place. Here, it's good. Love yeah. it. I love the South Island for hunting. It's awesome. Mate. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? I just I don't know. I mean, everyone's got their own opinion, but I, I like the openness of the south if you can obviously make that happen for yourself i mean i just the the north island does maybe get a bit scary from stories i hear at in the raw with the amount of people that are hunting it and it's great that everyone's out there doing it as you just said starting from here and heading south like it's yeah you know i did a podcast with msc the other day and (laughs) what did nathan refer to it as the coffee stain of death around (laughs) lake taupo in terms of the yeah the accidents that have happened in the last 50 years like in that thick bush around Taupo yeah, man. Yeah, up. Scary. It's, it's it's quite frightening so if you are going there by all means go but just be careful because yep. the one thing that every one of those guys that accidentally shot somebody their mate or somebody else have in common is the fact that they 100% believed that it wouldn't happen to them so you have that in common at this point and and, I, and and from what I understand generally it's someone carrying a carrying a deer out and they see brown in the bush and they not shoot not necessarily no, no. It's, it's really not like there's been like I worked at the MSC for just under a year and during that period I spent um, a good portion of my time helping prepare a document called a, hunt, a, hunter's, a hunter's Tale which was sort of a summary of hunting incidents in the last as far as injuries and stuff, last 10 years, and then the misidentified shooting stuff, we had access to coroner's reports going back to, um, you know, 
1970s. I think the latest wow. one was 1979. So I read close to 60 coroner reports of all misidentified shootings since 79. And I'll tell you what, man, it's not people carrying out deer. There is a few of them, but not really. of, Is it shooting movement, is it? Or? Shooting at movement. Yeah, wow. It's, it's, it's not identifying your target fully. And there's something goes on in your brain that, you know, if you really want it to be a deer, I think you can convince yourself it can be the a deer. The old buck fever, eh? Buck fever, a bit of adrenaline, a bit of excitement. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of experienced guys do it, complacency, young guys do it, yeah. new to it. You know, just general accidents seem to happen. Yeah. 50% of the time you know the guy, so yeah, it's, it's even worse. Awful. Like you're there and you're, and we all know that's the easiest way to hunt a red deer in the raw is split up, send somebody forward, you stay back and yeah. raw. As soon as you split up, like you're taking a risk, right? Mm. And when you've got a high adrenaline situation like that and you decide to take that opportunity, you know, that flash is a deer running through a gap or I can see a part of it and shoot, you're taking a massive risk, like a massive risk. Yeah. Because it, it doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. And my theory, and this is only my theory, but it, it, it doesn't happen very often anywhere else in the world when it does happen it's generally shooting over horizon just yeah. plain bad luck not misidentified freak accidents freak stuff. accident yeah. stuff whereas in new zealand the guys who pull the trigger like in their testimony you know the police testimony the common theme is i saw a deer i shot it i walked up to it and it was a person so they 100 percent believed when they pulled the trigger they were shooting at a deer so make of that what you will yeah. But it doesn't happen in North America because, you know, where I do a lot of hunting in British Columbia, if I'm hunting mule deer, for example, it's illegal to shoot females right out of the gate. So that's half the population out of the gate. B, you can only shoot a mature four-point buck. Right. So it has to have four points on one of its antlers or it's not legal. Right. So if you see one in the thick shit, you, you, shooting it doesn't even enter your brain until you fully identify, fully identify it. Yeah. And then on top of that, you only get one tag a year. So you don't want to shoot a baby. You want to shoot a big one. Yeah. So there's all these boxes that you've got to tick yeah. before you even put a round in. Whereas in New Zealand, like we don't have to worry about any of that. Yeah. So guys have got a round in the chamber before they even see something half the time. Yeah. So they've already made all those decisions previously because they can. So there's no safeguard in place. So what I implore people to do is put that on yourself. Like if you're going to shoot a deer... I want, you know, you should be able to tell me how many points it has before you pull the trigger. Now, I know that's not practical in a lot of the thick North Island stuff. I really do. Yeah. I get it. And I think back to a lot of the deer that I shot as a young fella in the Ruahinis, I probably wouldn't have got to shoot those deer if I dicked around and tried to count points and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Just because you only get a small opportunity. But at the end of the day, if somebody asked me, you know, would you trade that for making a mistake like it's not it's a no-brainer totally. like it's an absolute no-brainer yeah we just try and employ i mean you know with us as, as employee rules like we never we never ever got anything in the breach until we see an animal like that's yeah. just one of our little rules and yeah we've maybe missed out on deer as a result of that being the case and other people might disagree with that with, with how we do it but i don't know like you know one deer like you say one deer versus shooting your best mate yeah. is um as a or, or some accident happening yeah. as you're climbing and the has changed yeah like, it has Back when the old man was starting to hunt, like he tells a story probably 10 times on this podcast already. They didn't see deer the first 15 or 16 times he went hunting. Yeah. Right? Because everybody was competing for them and there weren't that many around. Right. So if you stuffed up your one opportunity, you might not see one for another month. Right? Contrary to what a lot of people believe right now, there's a shitload of deer in New Zealand. We can afford to let the old one walk. Oh, yeah. If it's, it's just not worth taking the risk. I mean, again, 
it's it's very easy to sit here and tell everybody what to do and what they shouldn't do but it's really different when you're in the heat of the moment and you get excited and all that kind of stuff yep. and it it scares the shit out of me that you know some poor bugger is going to go through that and this the scary thing is when you're reading those well, there's a number of things that it wasn't a great couple of weeks reading all those corona points if i'm honest it knocked me around quite a bit yeah um, yes yeah, and I, I, I certainly reduced my zest for getting out in the hills <laughs> yeah. um just because there were so many of them that you can visualize yourself in that situation no matter how hard you try you can think shit that could happen to me you know and these poor buggers going through that and the number of you know follow-on suicides particularly in the mm. you know it just can you even imagine like the double tragedy of oh that it's just thing? i mean yeah i mean that's the whole thing that that the what what comes thereafter is is scary because you know if it is a close person in the family then it's the ripple effect across everybody and you know there's no argument that there's mental health challenges that follow and all those sorts of things so yeah, yeah. Be safe. Yeah, just it's not worth it for a stinking red deer. It really isn't. <laughs> like at the end of the day, a rutting stag. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I mean, mate. Yeah. No, yeah, I think it's enough on that topic. It's, but I think it's an important. Yeah, important point. point. To yeah, yeah, hammer totally. home. Yep. So you got that one coming up. Anything else exciting you want to talk about? Um. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just you know, for for me, it's um just exciting all year round. Really, this country just has got so much on its back doorstep that um I encourage other people to go and see. And you know, I'm probably preaching to the converted who are listening to this, but you know, I found the all your other podcasts really fascinating. And we talked about it in the car. You know, New Zealand's two degrees of separation in some yeah, way, yeah. shape, or form. You kind of have come across a, a lot of these guys, and it's just good that you know I'm a I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a city dweller that you know at any opportunity I can can get out on the water or go go hunting and and, yeah. and you know these guys down south that can walk out their back you know around the country and walk out their back door and, and go and do the same thing which is cool um and yeah I just I reckon it's you know bring that next generation through my son's seven years old or coming up seven years old he's always asking me when can I come hunting with your dad and you know started to get him to you know shoot the 22 and bits and yeah, pieces yeah. and getting him get him into it you know he loves venison when I come home and you know I mean him a little backstrap together yeah. and it's 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 awesome um so yeah I think you know making the most of this country and it seems I don't know maybe it's just when you're in that world it seems like there's more people doing more hunting is yeah. you know and that's driven by a lot of you know I see the media side of things and 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 the tally and Whatnot, but I've got one philosophy which I'll share with you, which is you can't shoot anything sitting on your couch and you can't catch a fish sitting on your couch. So, so many people are staring at their phones looking at all the yeah, gear yeah, they need and all the rest of it, it, but I can tell you for sure you ain't going to catch a fish there or shoot a deer there. So, my philosophy is get out and have a crack, you know, yeah, like yeah. Um, put yourself in the situation because you, you're a far better chance if you're on the water or up on the hills to, oh, to do that. I cannot stress enough how lucky we are. Or- you know, me moving back, and then everybody else. Well, 78.9% of our listeners, as of yesterday, listening to this podcast in New Zealand, the opportunities that we have are world class. So make the most of it and protect it. Like, hunting is we, we get to hunt in New Zealand, we have a social license to do so. Yep. But believe you me, the more people become urbanized, the more people who don't understand hunting, don't understand agriculture, farming, yep. it's going to get harder and harder to do. So, Rather than fight it, you got to bring them on board and make them, you know, as best you can understand why we do what we do. So, yeah, um, and promote a positive image for what we're doing. Like, yeah, it's it's and, and I think as as you do it or you get into it, you start to learn more about it. And you know, you know, we're driving up uh, through the Mackenzie Country not so long ago, me and the Cuzzy, and we stopped at Lindus Pass where the first red deer were liberated. And you know, yeah, you stop and you understand that you sort of sit t- t- tell that story, and you think. 
I scratched my head going, how do you mean they dropped a dozen or 12 or 10 or whatever they did and now they're everywhere? Like, that's amazing. Yeah. You know, like, oh, we'll drop them here and then all of a sudden they're all over the place. And that, you know, that's cool. And it's cool to understand. And, um, you know, just I think that whole buzz of just watching them and understand, you know, going back to the safety thing is watching them for a while, you learn so much about it um, before you even go and decide to, you know, to, to shoot something. It's just seeing how they work and see how they interact and you learn more about it. And it's all part of everyone's journey. And, people are better at it and my cousin tells me often being too noisy at times and all the rest of it it's all part of the banter of what you do and I mean everyone's an expert and you know I watch various telly shows and stuff and there's people that will go unnamed I couldn't hunt with some people with the way that they're a backseat driver but you know like everyone's got their own way of doing things don't they so um, you know it's about, about having a go. Yeah, well, I reckon we should wrap it up now. Now, you did mention you might have a, a knife or two to give away to a listener. Yep. So my fun, my my favourite hunting knife our uh, is our sort of it's a it's a three seven two one twelve. It's a good all rounder. It's a sort of a, a rounded off swage uh, boning knife. Does everything for me. Um, it's good when you're skinning an animal. You don't go through the through the hide, and we, we proved that on a tar not so long ago. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I've got I don't know. I'll, I'll throw five at you. Okay. Um, and they'll come with a, a leather sheath and a, and a steel, so you've uh, sure, got, you. got got the whole package. And you know, I was, I, I'm just you know, I'm I, I'm fastidious about New Zealand business and growing growing victory and getting it. Well, not growing not growing it so much. It's more about getting it more into that recreational space. We're doing a hell of a great job, and then have done for a long period of time in the in the in the works, but in the hills. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll throw five at you and you can okay. run whatever you want you send me the addresses I'll send the knives out too easy hey and love what you guys are doing eh? Every all of the podcasts I listen, listen to have just been stunning and you know good people great stories and good yarns and I think that's all part of the hunting vernacular isn't it is it getting really up is. Get it, getting up in the hills and telling a few lies some are true some are not but um, but, but having a good time <laughs> while you do it and that's um, you know that's why we do it eh? yeah man oh I really appreciate you taking the time Gareth have a good one cheers mate g'day thanks for listening to the Educated Hunter podcast there are a number of ways you can connect with myself Matthew Gibson or my partner in crime, Curran Island, at The Educated Hunter. And the hub for all of this is our website, theeducatedhunter.com. Our Instagram page is at theeducatedhunter. Our website also has a spot where you can sign up for our newsletter that comes once every two weeks and is full of relevant information about hunting in New Zealand and around the world. And lastly, you can search out any of the episodes that we've done in the past and find the show notes on that episode. Other than that, thanks very much for listening and I hope you're having a good day wherever you are and your next hunting adventure is not too far away.